0: Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus, praying that your word would have its life-giving effect on the hearts of those that have gathered in your name today. Lord, you love these precious people. You sent Christ to die for them. You've redeemed them by blood. And so, Lord, I know that it is your intention to bless them today, to build them up, to strengthen them. So, Lord, would you take your holy word... And would you enable me to bring forth the meaning of this text that would give life through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. From the very beginning of Christianity, there have been two false forms of deadly Christianity. Two false forms. Licentiousness and legalism. Now, licentiousness basically tells us that we ought to continue in sin that grace might increase. Licentiousness loves to emphasize the infinite grace of God and that it's really not that important how we live because God's grace covers it. God's grace forgives it. God cleanses us from all sin and so really it's not that important whether you live a holy life or not. But my friends, that's a lie because the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 14 that We are to pursue holiness without which no man will see the Lord. So holiness is vital, not as the means of obtaining salvation, but as the fruit demonstrating that true salvation has been received. So that's licentiousness on the one hand. It's a deadly false form of Christianity. But there is an equal and opposite other deadly false form of Christianity, and that's legalism. And I want to give you my definition of legalism. This, I spent some time this week thinking and writing, and this is what I came up with. Legalism is the performing of divine or man-made rules to achieve or to maintain a right standing with God. Let me say that again. Legalism is the performing of divine or man-made rules to achieve or to maintain a right standing with God. You see, just as the licentious person emphasizes God's grace, the legalist emphasizes man's works. He depends upon works in order to give him a right standing before God. And not only does he emphasize works, but he takes a list of rules and regulations that he has come up with, and he legislates that list on everybody else. It's not good enough for him to have this list of rules and regulations as his own personal convictions, but he feels it necessary to lay those convictions on every other Christian, and if they don't measure up to his standards, then they are to be condemned, then they are to be judged, and to be criticized. So he takes his own lists of rules and regulations, he invests them with divine authority, and he says, these are God's rules, these are God's regulations, And if you don't meet these or keep these, then you're subpar. You're not quite there. You don't quite have that right standing with God. And I I can give you some examples of the way we do this. Some people take the King James Version of the Bible, and they say that is the only authorized version of the Bible. And if you don't use that particular version of the Bible, uh, you're just not with it. You're missing something. You're, you're, You're missing out. So if you use the English standard version like Sean was reading from earlier today and I often use the new American standard then you're, you're not there. Or another one would be how long men wear their hair. If it's not cut so that it's above the ear then that's wrong. <laughs> There's something really wrong with that picture. You're sinning in the sight of God. Or perhaps for a woman it would be what is she wearing? Does she wear pants? Or does she wear dresses, you see? And there is a real emphasis that a woman's got to wear a particular kind of clothing in order to be have that right standing with God. For other people, it's alcohol. Their rule is that you may never touch a drop of alcohol at all, ever. And they take that rule and impose it upon everybody else. Or for somebody else, maybe it's watching any movies that are not G-rated. Or for somebody else, maybe it's, uh, if you wear makeup, well, then you've crossed the line. And that's a rule that you should never break as a true godly Christian, never wear makeup for a woman. Or for other people, it's how much time they spend in devotions. They have a certain amount of time that they've come up with. Maybe it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. And they've got to spend that much time in Bible reading and prayer. And if they don't do that, and if other Christians don't come up to that standard, then there's something wrong with that individual's spiritual life. That's the legalist. And in the first century, as always, there were legalists. Anybody know the names of the legalists in the first century? What were they called? The Pharisees. They were the Pharisees. And they were the arch enemies of Jesus Christ. Jesus had some pretty brutal things to say about the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. We'll look at a few of those later. We're going to be looking at two stories in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus and the Pharisees collide. Jesus really takes them on. He goes for the jugular when it comes to these Pharisees. And we're going to see that what they collided on was their understanding and interpretation of the Sabbath day. This was a huge deal to the Pharisees. And Jesus seemed to always be getting in trouble because he didn't observe the Sabbath in the way that the Pharisees thought he should. So, there's two stories here. The first story is in verses 1-5, through and the people that are supposedly breaking the Sabbath here are the disciples of Jesus. In the second story, Jesus himself is the one who breaks the Sabbath. The first story takes place in a grain field. The second story takes place in a synagogue. And so we want to take a look at these two incidents in the life of Jesus related to the Sabbath where Jesus and the Pharisees have this head-on collision and see, first of all, the character of the Pharisee. And let's just remove the word Pharisee for right now. Let's talk about the character of the legalist so that we can make application today in the 21st century. And then at the end, we're going to take a look at the character of Jesus. And they're miles apart. So first of all, the character of the legalists. We're going to see the deadly effects of legalism. And folks, this isn't just something that we can point our fingers at somebody else and say, well, that guy's a legalist. There are probably going to be many times in our own life as Christians where we will suddenly slip into a legalistic way of approaching our spiritual life. And we need to recognize that and repent of it because it's not helpful and it's not life-giving, it's deadening. So, the character of the legalist. Number one, legalists are critical. They're critical. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So, let's reconstruct the situation. This is the Sabbath day. Jesus and his 12 disciples are walking through a grain field. They're probably on their way to a synagogue because it was Jesus' custom to worship in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As they're going along, his disciples are hungry. Perhaps they'd run out of food. They hadn't eaten anything. They're hungry. And so they snip a few heads of grain as they're going along. They need to remove the holes of that grain, so they rub it in their hands. They blow it. Those holes blow away, and they take the kernels, pop them in their mouth, and they eat them. You have to admit, that was a pretty healthy snack. It's organic, number one. It's low-fat. It's high-fiber. It's a perfect health food snack, isn't it? Now, you might say, well, weren't they stealing? They were stealing from someone else's grain field? Well, actually, no. In the law of Moses, God had given permission for people as they were passing passing through their neighbor's fields or grain fields to be able to eat a snack along the way. And if you think I'm making this up, let me just show you. Deuteronomy 23, verse 24 and 25. This is the law. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied. But you shall not put any in your basket. So don't take any home with you, but just eat while you're going through the field. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand. Exactly what his disciples were doing. But you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, don't take your farm equipment over there and harvest all of his grain and then sell it at the market. Don't do that. But you can take a few heads of grain and have a snack while you're passing through his yard. Okay, so that's exactly what the disciples were doing. Who could possibly object to the disciples eating a few kernels of grain as they're passing on their way to church on their way to the synagogue one day well the legalists would object to that the Pharisees you see there were 39 major categories of things you had to refrain from on the Sabbath day 39 of them And with each of those 39 major categories, there were dozens and dozens of specific rules and regulations that pertained to those big 39 categories. Well, according to the Pharisees, they had just broken three of those 39 categories. They had reaped, they had threshed, and they had winnowed. When they plucked the heads of grain, that was reaping. When they rubbed them in their hands, that was threshing. And when they blew the chaff away, that was winnowing. And that's not all. There were 24 chapters on specific Sabbath laws in the Talmud, which is the Jewish collection of rules and regulations that the rabbis had collected over the centuries. 24 chapters, and there was one rabbi who spent two and a half years studying one chapter. So if you wanted to know everything that was in those 24 chapters, it's going to take years and years and years to figure out all the minutiae of what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. For example, a woman was forbidden to look in a mirror on the Sabbath day. Do you know why? She might see a gray hair and pluck it out, and that was work. Um, You could not carry anything heavier than a dried fig. Or you could carry... Something that weighed half as much as a dried fig two times, but that's all. And so therefore a woman could not wear jewelry because a jewelry was heavier than a dried fig. I'm not making these up, folks. (laughs) This was in the Jewish writings. Um, You could not walk any further than 1,999 steps, which they said, was 3,000 feet. If you took the 2,000th step, you had crossed the line and you had sinned on the Sabbath day. And they'd figured out different ways of getting around these laws. Like if they put food the night before, 1,999 steps away, they could walk to the food, eat it, and then for some reason, they could walk another 1,999 steps. It's craziness. But this is what the Jews, who had nothing better to do with their time, this is what they did. They wrote 24 chapters on what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. In enters Jesus Christ. And he doesn't care a fig about their rules and regulations. He doesn't care at all, does he? He collides with their man-made rules and regulations about the Sabbath. And and the reason was because their rules were not found in Scripture. Do you know what the Bible actually says about the Sabbath and what you can and can't do? It's very, very general. It says you can't work. You've got to rest. And it leaves it up to each individual person to figure out what that means. God never invested the rabbis with the authority to come up with these thousands of rules and impose them upon the whole Jewish nation. He just says, folks, take a break. Take a day in seven to rest. That'll give you time to meet with me, to refresh your soul. And that was the Sabbath day. But the Pharisees were very critical of Jesus and his disciples. They said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why do you do what is not lawful? Well, what law had they broken? They hadn't broken God's law by plucking a few heads of grain and rubbing it and eating it, right? There was nothing in God's law against doing that on the Sabbath. They broke the Pharisees' laws and they became critical. They were very quick to to judge and to condemn, and to criticize, and to find fault with everybody else who didn't come up to their particular standard of morality. And you know, folks, we need to be really careful. And I'm speaking to myself here. I'm probably speaking to all of you too. We need to be really careful when we find within ourselves a propensity to criticize and to judge others. And to find fault with people who we don't think are quite as spiritual as we are. Because they're breaking one of our own personal convictions. We need to be really careful about that. Because who are we being more like when we do that? Are we being more like Jesus or the Pharisees? We're becoming legalistic when we do that. When we are more concerned about somebody having a glass of wine with their meal than we are about how they're doing spiritually in their walk with Christ, we've slipped into the error of the Pharisees. When we're concerned about somebody who's going to a PG movie, and that bothers us, and we feel like, man, I've got to speak to that person. They've crossed my personal conviction. Or when we've, heavens forbid, somebody starts using something other than the King James Version of the Bible, and that really, really bugs us. And we feel, man, I've got to talk to that brother. We're slipping into a legalistic spirit. So we need to learn from the Pharisees that being critical is one of the characteristics of a legalistic mindset. Beware of it. When you find yourself slipping into that critical spirit, watch out. Take it to the Lord. Ask Him to help you with that spirit. Now, secondly, legalists are controlling. Not only are they critical, they're controlling. Look at verse 2 again. Some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? You see, they were violating the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath day. And so what they're saying is, Jesus, stop doing what you're doing. Stop it. Why are you doing what's not lawful? You shouldn't be doing that. Just stop right now. Or the second story, verse 7, take a look at that. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find, what? A reason to accuse him. Why were they in the Sabbath or why were they in the synagogue on that Sabbath day? Was it because they were so excited and anxious to worship Jehovah God with the rest of God's people? No. (laughs) They were there to scrutinize Jesus. To look him over. They were like the official delegate that came to spy on Jesus to find something wrong with what he was doing so that they could accuse him. See, they were critical. They were looking for something that they could accuse him of. They were controlling. They were into legislating their own morality. They would not allow individuals to have freedom of conscience. Instead, they bound the conscience of all of the Jewish people to their own particular interpretation of what was okay and what was not okay to do on the Sabbath day. Now, we need to ask ourselves the same question this morning. Do we have a controlling attitude towards others? Do we legislate our own convictions on other people and say, you've got to do what I feel is right to do? Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain things in the Bible that are black and white. And those things are always sin. And we ought to be calling each other to repent of those that are clear-cut sins. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul says, Don't you know? You used to be fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals and swindlers and unjust and idolaters don't you know that you used to be that way? But God has washed you. He sanctified you. He's justified you in the name of Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And he says, don't be deceived. People that live in those sins will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So he defines specific sins and he says if you go on living of those sins, don't think you're going to heaven. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You may say you are, but you're not. You need to repent and put your faith in Christ and ask him to purge you of a life of lawlessness. So I'm not talking about clear-cut black and white sins in scripture. What I'm talking about are the gray areas of the Christian life things that the Bible doesn't give us specifics about, that we need to give other people liberty and freedom and grace to work out in their own lives. Now, we might come alongside of them and say, you know, the Lord has shown me a, a, a wise principle. Let's say you deal with lust or pornography. Here's some wise principles that I've found to be able to overcome that particular sin. And we sit down with a brother or sister, we help them with these issues. That's good. But when we come up with rules and regulations and say if you don't do this or if you do this over here, you're in sin and you're not accepted by God, we've crossed the line and we begin to be just like the legalists of the first century. We start to control people and make them to conform to our impersonal convictions. You know, Romans chapter 14 was written to deal with issues just like this. There were people in the first century that had questions about whether it was okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. They had questions about is it okay to drink wine or not? Is it okay to observe certain days as special holy days? Or should we observe every day as holy to the Lord? And so Paul in Romans chapter 14 basically says don't judge each other on those issues. If someone drinks wine and someone doesn't, the one who doesn't shouldn't look down their noses at the one who does. And the one who does drink wine shouldn't judge the one who doesn't. They should accept one another. That God is working in both of their lives. In fact, in Romans 14, verse 4, this is what Paul says. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. I love that verse. God is working in all of His people. And if we are getting off track or in sin, the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, is fully able to correct us and get us back on track. And He will do that. He will enable us to stand. Who are we to judge the servant of another? So legalists not only are critical, but they're controlling. So if we find ourselves... To be kind of a controlling person, trying to manipulate others to do what we think is right and what we think is wrong. On secondary gray issues, we need to stop and think about what we're doing. We're following the path of the Pharisees at that point. Thirdly, legalists are cocky. They're cocky. They're not only critical in controlling, they're cocky. And I mean by that, they're proud, they're unteachable. Why do I think that? Well, let's look back at the text. Verse 2. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? You see, these Pharisees were absolutely sure that they had the right interpretation of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. They were convinced that they were right and that Jesus was wrong and they set out to correct Him. And that's the nature of a legalist. He's absolutely sure that he's right. And there's nothing you can say to convince him otherwise because he's unteachable. He can't be taught. Someone who knows that they're right and is absolutely convinced that they're right, you can't teach him a thing. They're not open to discussion. Now, instead of coming to Jesus and saying, well, you know, Lord, I I, I never considered what you've just said about 1 Samuel 21 and how... David and his men ate the showbread on the Sabbath and only the priests were supposed to eat that? You know, that's, that's a new thought for me. Maybe I should take that to the Lord and pray about that and consider it and maybe my view of the Sabbath is not quite right. And that's what they should have done. Jesus is the master teacher. Here are these Pharisees who think they've got everything just exactly right. All their T's are crossed and their I's are dotted, and everything's just right. But no, they had this proud, cocky, conceited spirit where they couldn't be taught even by Jesus. God in human flesh comes down and tries to teach men and men are too proud to listen to God. That's what was taking place. Instead, they accuse and condemn him. Look at what takes place in verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. They didn't come on the Sabbath day because they were so anxious to learn more from God's word. They didn't come humbling themselves before God, repenting of sin, asking God to give them more light so that they can demonstrate their love for him through an obedient life. They came for the purpose of finding a reason to accuse Jesus. So they were already sure that they understood the Sabbath, They weren't open to anybody speaking to them at all. They wouldn't listen to Jesus when he tried to correct them. And you know, there are a lot of people like that today. And it's really sad when that happens. I've met a lot of people like that. I mean, why listen to anybody else when you already know the truth, right? When I approach secondary issues that Christians through the centuries have disagreed on I study the Bible and I try to come up with a firm conviction about what I believe the Bible says let's take an example the second coming of Christ okay there's lots of different ideas about that Dozens and dozens of them. <laughs> there are four major millennial viewpoints. This might be something you've never heard or discussed before, but you've got all millennialists, post-millennialists, pre- and there's two versions of premillennialists: historic premillennialists, and then dispensational premillennialists. And this may mean nothing to you, but let me just suffice it to say there's lots of different viewpoints. And even when you approach the book of Revelation, there are dozens of ways people interpret the book of Revelation. So I know when I try to come to my own personal conviction on what I think the Bible teaches, I know that there's a possibility I might be wrong. Because smarter men than me have disagreed with me on these views. And more godly men than me have disagreed with me on these views. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't come up with personal convictions on doctrine. We should. We should study the scripture and try to arrive at what you believe the scripture is teaching. So my own philosophy is this. On these kinds of issues, this is what I conclude. I'm convinced I'm right, but I'm also convinced I could be wrong. What that does is it leaves you humble enough so that if you've missed something, you're willing to at least take a second look. You're willing to let somebody speak into your life. Now you might, after you've listened to them, you might think, you know, I don't I don't agree with that. I'm still convinced this other position. But at least you're humble enough to listen and to really give it some weight and to think about it and take it to the Lord in prayer. There's a guy, uh, a brother recently, who when I told him that my philosophy was to say, well, I'm convinced I'm right, but I'm also convinced I could be wrong, he just thought that was anathema. Because he was absolutely convinced he was right and there was nothing anybody could say that would he would would even listen to them to the contrary. In fact, he wouldn't even fellowship with someone who did not hold to certain doctrinal convictions, even though they were born again and they were going to heaven and they were a Christian. Unless you agreed with this narrow viewpoint on the Christian life, he couldn't have any fellowship with them. And uh, folks, I think that's just too narrow I think we need to love all of God's people. Yes, we need to hold to convictions. And here at the bridge, we have some strong doctrinal convictions on certain issues. For one, let's talk about some of those issues. Um, we believe that we are to baptize believers, not infants. Someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ and repents of their sin. At that point, when they've repented and believe the gospel, we baptize them, not before. We believe that elders are to govern and rule the church. We don't believe in congregational church government. Uh, my own personal conviction is an amillennial return of Christ. But you know, it's not a big deal. If you don't agree with that, it doesn't matter to me. So don't get offended by all of that and walk out the door if you're pre-mill or post-mill. That's just my conviction. I believe after studying it, that that lines up best with the word of God. Um, We believe here at the bridge that God has predestined people to eternal life. A certain group of people before the foundation of the world He chose in Christ to be saved. Okay, let's take some of these. But does that mean that I can't fellowship with a premillennialist? Or uh, someone who believes that God hasn't chosen who's going to be saved, but it's up to man's free will? Does that mean I don't fellowship with that person? Of course not. If that person loves Jesus... And I love Jesus, we're brothers and sisters together. We're going to the same heaven, for goodness sake. We're going to spend eternity with each other. And so, though we hold doctrinal convictions as important, as very important, if someone is still a true believer in Jesus Christ, let's embrace them as our brother. And let's hope that if we God has given us more light than they, that through our fellowship together, God may enable us to be speaking into their life and they can learn something from what he's shown us. And perhaps there are things in that brother's life that he's shown them that we haven't got light on and he's going to be able to help us see a little bit clearer. Do You see the difference? The difference is between not being so cocky like the Pharisees where they couldn't learn a thing from Jesus. In fact, they rejected anything that he had to say. To being a humble Christian. Being humble with the Word of God. Being willing to take another look from somebody and weigh it against the rest of the, the Word of God, the Scriptures. So who are you more like this morning? The Pharisees or Jesus? Or are you willing to be taught do you come wanting to be taught or do you come as a critic of the sermon trying to find holes in it things that are wrong with it so that you can come up and correct the preacher when he's done <laughs> it's always fun to have a, a church full of those people and folks you're not that way i'm not saying anything like that you guys are the most gracious people i know you're wonderful but that can't happen that spirit of unteachability can take take root in a church And so here are the Pharisees. They had become blinded and hardened because they were just unwilling to be taught. They were critical. They were controlling. They were cocky. And fourthly, they were callous. What do I mean by that? This is probably the most deadly effect of legalism because it makes us callous to human need. It makes us uncaring about people. All we care about is our list of rules and regulations and whether you're keeping them or not. We don't care about the hurting and the pain that people are going through. Did the Pharisees care that Jesus' disciples were hungry on the Sabbath day? Did they offer to go to the market and buy some food and bring it back to them? I don't think so. (laughs) Did they care about that guy with the withered hand? I mean, were they staying up late at night, bothered by the fact that it was his right hand that was withered? Did you catch that in Luke? It was his right hand. No doubt he was probably a right-handed person. That would mean that it's going to be very difficult for him to make a living. If he was a tanner or a cobbler or a stonemason or a carpenter, you would need that hand to be able to do your work. So here he's out of work. How is he going to provide for his family? That should have caused compassion to well up in these Pharisees' hearts for this person and his family members, his wife and children. There's no doubt in my mind that that wasn't a concern of theirs. All they were concerned about is, is Jesus going to heal on the Sabbath? And if he is, it's wrong. There was no concern for people in their hearts. And it made them callous and unloving and uncaring towards other people. That's why Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. I want mercy. There was no mercy in their hearts for other people. They didn't care if people were in pain or in need. What was their reaction to Jesus? Were they thrilled when Jesus healed this man and start praising God and Rejoicing that God had healed him so that he could make a living now? No, the Bible says that they're filled with rage and they began to plot how they could kill him. That was their reaction. Pretty loving thing to do, right? (laughs) That's where legalism will take you. It will take you to a place when you're not even concerned about people or their needs or their hurts or their pain anymore. You see, we need to be concerned when... What's more important to us is whether people are keeping our list of rules or whether they're in pain or hurting. When it bothers us more that they don't keep our rules than they're hurting, something's wrong in our spiritual life. When it bothers us more that a brother is smoking cigarettes than that he's out of work, something's wrong with us. When it bothers us more that someone uses the New American Standard version of the Bible than that they have these chronic headaches that won't go away, something's wrong with us. You see, we're, we're participating in a pharisaic, legalistic spirit or we're not even concerned about people and their needs. Do you see any of these characteristics in your life so far? Critical, controlling cocky, callous. If you do, it's time to take some of these things to the Lord and ask Him to remove them, to make us like Jesus. And so now I want you to focus on Jesus for a while. We've seen the legalists. We've seen the Pharisees. Let's look at Jesus. Let's go back and take a look at verse 3. They had just said, Why are you and your disciples doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God, the tabernacle, and he took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus is doing is taking them back to a story that happened in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David and his men are fleeing from Saul. They've come to Ahimelech the priest, and they're hungry. Now there's a lot of men with David. They had, they'd run out of food, and these guys were hungry. It was a real need, a human need. And so David goes to the priest and says, hey, do you have any bread here? My men are famished. And the, the uh, priest says, no, they're, they're, I don't have any regular bread, but I do have some consecrated bread, some holy bread. And so you see, every Sabbath day, the priests would remove the 12 loaves of bread from the table of showbread, and they'd put 12 hot loaves, freshly baked loaves, on that table of showbread. And each one of those loaves represented the different tribes of Israel. They were to represent God's people. He says, well, I've got those 12 loaves. I've just removed the old 12 loaves, and I've put 12 new loaves. You can have the 12 old loaves if you want. But by doing that, a law was being broken. Leviticus 24 verse 9 said that only the sons of Levi were to eat that particular bread. But we find no word of censure from God. We find the priest endorsing David and his mighty men in eating that special bread. Nowhere in the Bible is this condemned or spoken evil against and so Jesus says have you never read and that must have galled these guys because they knew every word of the Bible they had read it hundreds of times there were experts on the Old Testament have you never read <laughs> as though you've read it but didn't you ever take it to heart that here in the Old Testament one of God's laws was suspended in order to meet human need and here you want to bind me with not one of God's laws one of your stupid petty fanatical, little legalistic laws. You want to take one of your convictions and impose it on me and my men. It doesn't come from Scripture. God hasn't said it. You, you're the authority, not God, and you want to impose that upon us. Well, look, in the Old Testament, even one of God's laws was suspended to meet human need. It's right then for me to suspend one of your laws, which have no authority whatsoever, in order to meet real human need. Jesus was more concerned with people than he was with religious rituals. He was more concerned with human need and meeting human need than he was with going through the motions of religiosity. And then we also have the example in verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Jesus was there to do good. Jesus was there to save this guy's life, right? To give it back to him. What were the Pharisees plotting to do? To kill him. (laughs) To do harm and to take a life. And so Jesus asked him a question. You tell me, what's the right thing to do on the Sabbath? Is it to do good like I'm about to do or is it to do harm like you want to do to me? Is it lawful for me to save a life like I'm about to do to this guy with a withered hand or is it lawful to take a life like you want to do to my life? You see, Jesus was not concerned with these petty, stupid, ridiculous laws that the Pharisees had come up with. Jesus was concerned with people. He was there as the savior of sinners. He had come on an errand of mercy from heaven to bring life and salvation to sinners. And he loved people. And if someone was suffering from a withered hand, Jesus was concerned about that. And he was more concerned about that than keeping their petty rules and regulations. So that was the heart of Jesus. People take precedence over religious ritual. What about you? Is that true about you? Do the needs of people take precedence over religious ritual? If you know that one of your neighbors down the street has just had an operation, are you willing to give up some of your time of devotions, your religious ritual that you go through every day, And I'm I'm not saying there's anything bad about spending time with God. That's good. But are you willing to break into some of that time in order to take a pot of soup down to your neighbor who needs some help? What about if you're driving to church? Are you so concerned about getting to church exactly on time that when you see someone on the side of the road that needs some help, he's got a flat tire, you're unwilling to stop and help them? You see, we can be so concerned about keeping our ritual, our religious ceremonies and rituals, that we overlook human need. And I'm speaking, I'm preaching to myself here, because I like to be on time, and I like to have my time with God. And I can find myself struggling when it comes to what should I do in this situation, Lord? I'm just like you in this situation. We can participate in a legalistic spirit, and we can be more like Pharisees than we can be like Jesus much of the time. And if you, if what I'm saying is shooting a few arrows into your heart, take stock this morning. Take that to the Lord. I want you to notice that Jesus defied the Pharisees. You see, he could have waited a few hours until the sun went down and then healed the man with the withered hand, couldn't he? He didn't have to do it right at that particular moment, but do you see what he did? He called the man front and center, and he brought him down in front of all the people. The Pharisees are watching, and it says because he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he knew what they were thinking. He said, okay, this is a test case. You, man with a withered hand, come on down here, right here. Right front and center. Stretch out your hand. He could have waited and not broken their rule about the Sabbath, but he didn't. Now, why would he take on the Pharisees so directly and so defiantly like that? The reason is because this legalism of the Pharisees was hurting people. It was destroying people's lives. And Jesus had to come against it. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23, verse 4. These Pharisees tie up heavy burdens... And lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They're laying these crushing burdens upon the shoulders of all the Jewish people. Or verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you don't enter in yourselves. Nor do you allow those who you who are entering to go in. So... They were shutting the way into heaven by teaching that your acceptance with God is through observing the rules and regulations that we have laid down for you. And that was false, wasn't it? Their acceptance with God is through the grace of Jesus Christ not through observing this list of rules and regulations. Or verse 15. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. They wouldn't allow them into the kingdom of heaven. They're making them sons of hell. They're shedding them out from the kingdom. They were laying these crushing burdens upon their shoulders. And so Jesus attacked it because it was deadly. It was damaging. It was hurtful to God's precious sheep. Listen to what Jesus says about himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You, The Pharisees have been laying these crushing burdens on your shoulders and you're tired. You're weary. You're heavy laden. I want you to come to me. And wh- what is he going to do for them? I will give you rest. I'll take off the burden. I will bear it. I will bear it. And then he goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So the picture is these two oxen who have this yoke over their necks. And Jesus is one of them. And he says, You just come alongside me and we're going to pull it together. I'm going to bear the weight of this yoke. But we're going to do this together in cooperation. So, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is what? Light. It's easy. It's light. If you feel this crushing weight of all these rules this list of do's and don'ts that you've got to keep in order for God to accept you, you don't have the teaching of Jesus, you've got the teaching of the Pharisees. You've got a false form of Christianity. Christianity is life, abundant life. And when that life comes into a man, he wants to please God, but he knows that his pleasing of God is only a response to the grace of God. It doesn't bring him the grace of God. The grace of God is free and unmerited, undeserved. It comes to sinners like you and I who are dead in sin, and it makes us alive. And with that life comes a new heart and a new spirit and a new desire to please God. So let me just ask you this. Who do you relate to more this morning, the Pharisees or Jesus? Jesus. Do you find in yourself a critical, controlling, cocky, or callous attitude? I want to call you away from the Pharisees, and I want you to look straight into the face of Jesus Christ. If you find a critical spirit in yourself, look at Jesus. He was such a gracious person. If you find within yourself a controlling spirit, look at Jesus. He set people free. If you find in yourself a cocky, proud spirit... Look at Jesus, what did he say about himself? I am humble in heart. If you find in yourself a callous attitude towards the needs of others, look at Jesus. He was loving and caring and compassionate. And if we want to be Christ-like, we need to go to Christ this morning. He has the power to transform us from legalistic Pharisees to people just like him. And he's absolutely committed in doing that. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. If you are a genuine Christian today, God has predestined that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He's going to do it. But one of the ways he's going to do that is if you look away from your petty list of rules and regulations, look to Jesus as the life giver this morning and let him completely and completely transform your life. Let's pray. Lord, would you change us from legalists to lovers of Christ today. Make your word effectual in the lives and hearts of your precious sheep. In Jesus' name, amen.